Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. was hanging out with, uh, my cousin turned 40 this year and, and her husband kind of did a, a special weekend away out in McMinnville and we were hanging out with um, with my cousin and her husband and then just all of their friends that aren't from, you know, they live in Hawkinson. So these are like all new people, but, um, you know, pretty quick it, it comes out that I'm a pastor and um, people seem pretty surprised by that. I, I don't know. And they were surprised they had a middle schooler, too. They're like, you're way too young to have a middle schooler. I'm like, oh, wait, tell me more about how young I look. Um, anyhow, we're, uh, we've, you know, been hanging out for the weekend. It's, it's uh, yesterday evening, and we're just playing some cards at a table. And I'm, I'm sitting next to a woman, and she's, she's telling m- myself and, and my wife, Laura, how um, – just how grateful she is that we came along and like, wow, you, you just seem like really wonderful people. And I, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but like, I, I need to come, I need to come to your church. Like I need to come and see what, what is it about you that's different? And these are, these are the kinds of things that you sort of dream of people saying to you. Cause you try to live your life a certain way that, you know, would be inspiring to people. And, and, and then these are the kinds of moments when you feel like, oh man, the stakes are really high on what I say next. And so um, it just it just poured out of me. I just said, you know, I think what you see in us and what you feel like is different is that is that for us, the, the religion has come down enough to a level that you can feel God's love coming through us, just being around us, because her experiences with church have, have been largely negative in her life. And and I said, and that's all I said. I just said, I think, and I think what you're feeling is God's love coming through us. And I was really, I just was moved to share that this morning because, you know, I've been talking about my core passions the last number of weeks and this whole idea of even how do we share the gospel if it's not, you know, standing on a corner with a tractor or, you know, trying to run someone down the Romans road and, I was like, wow. And then I've been talking about this stuff and then God just sort of drops into my lap this opportunity to, to do that. So, um, so I really believe that he's moving. I believe he's moving in our lives. I believe he's moving in our community. I I believe that he wants our, he wants his church to, to impact the people around us. And so I pray that you will have opportunities to say things like that this week, that people would ask you, man, what is going on? You're different. And you can be able to say, there's God's love coming through me. And what you're feeling is God's love moving through me. And I'll tell you what, God's love, will it's amazing. It will change your life forever. So anyhow, other things that will change your life forever are these uh, announcements that we're about to share. And so uh, where's Mike at? Are you, you're going to, oh, there you are. I didn't see you over there in the dark. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Murray. Good morning, everybody. I think I've got a flyer into every man's hand this morning, but if I didn't, I'm sorry, I missed you. Come see me later. 
but the good news is we've got a game night coming up on the 28th, so that's exciting. We're going to clear out the tables and chairs, put in some cornhole boards, have some food to eat. It's going to be an awesome evening. And then on the back of this form, we have some events that are going to be restarting this year, so that's exciting. Um, the first one I want to talk to you about is March 10th. We're going to start meeting at the Pancake House at 6 a.m. in the morning. I say we, I mean generally some men from the church. I will not be there. I am not a morning person. Um, Kyle, who's waving his hand back there, he's the guy who's going to be heading that up. If you've got any questions for him, let him know. Um, and then the only other thing, normally first weekend in May, we did men's retreat. We're going to do it in September this year. Whoa, right? Just wrap your mind around that September, not May. We, it's, I'm scared. I'm scared right now, but we're going to try it out. That's all. Thanks, Mike. Oh, man, there's other things I should talk about. Yeah, someone should pull up the QR code. <laughs> Please help yourself to coffee and pastries in the cafe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, we're hiring. Uh, we've got two positions for the Roxy Theater. So part of our vision as a church for this building space is that it wouldn't just be used by us on Sunday mornings, but it, it was uh, an effort in blessing our community with a beautiful space to meet, to gather, to host events. And um, of course, the pandemic kind of shut a lot of that stuff down, but we've, we've been go getting going again and the events have been happening and it's just becoming a lot of work. And so we're ready to hire someone who would manage events and then work at events for us. Uh, there's a link in the newsletter to a job description for that, and we're, we've never really done things this official before, but, you know, we're asking people to send in their resumes, and we're hoping to hire within the next couple weeks for that position. Uh, we also are looking for, uh, we're calling it the Roxy Maintenance Technician, so uh, in a building this size, as you can imagine, there's a lot of uh, maintenance that happens, you know, bulbs burn out, and doors stick, and paint gets chipped, and faucets leak. And so if you're someone who has, you know, kind of some handyman type inclinations and you would be interested in just a, I mean, it's a very part-time, but we'd just pay you an hourly wage to run through the building once a week and, um, and you know, check things out or, and, you know, make your little list. Maybe staff would be giving you a, a honey-do list and you would come through and just work on that stuff. Uh, so we're hiring for that position as well. Uh, if you're interested in any of that, you can email our office email at renewalcity at gmail, and we will be processing interest in all of that there. Um, we are also putting together a number of teams uh, to try and cover different just needs that we have to get things done here at the church. We're calling these connection teams, and then there's a variety of types of connection teams. So not all teams are – wait – all teams are a part of the connection team. I don't know. Anyways, we have a belonging team that's overseeing welcoming. We've got a children's ministry team of just people who are there in a real support role to Susie. We've got a setup team that Betty Hayes is organizing for setting things up on Sundays. We have a technology team that's being organized by Tyler Salvig uh, for trying to make sure that things work well, especially during our Sunday service. Uh, today, the light app is not working, so maybe you've noticed lights turning off and on kind of randomly. That's because we're relying on technology. Uh, we've got a teaching team that we're organizing. 
uh, for uh, just being more collaborative on sermon content and series content and kind of working together, having more voices and all of that. Uh, we've got a women's ministry team and a youth ministry team. So there's all kinds of teams. The whole idea is we believe that your uh, thriving at this church is dependent upon your ability to connect with people that are here. And one way that we can connect just naturally is by serving together, doing things together. And so the hope is that somewhere in that whole list of teams, there would be a place where you would feel a tug on your heart and say, you know what, I could maybe serve in that way or I could seek to connect in that way. We just know that if you don't connect in some way, you probably won't stick around for very long. So we're trying to make an effort to open the doors for connection there. Um, I, I think that's all the announcements that I need to say right now. So one thing I should mention, uh, we'll have a, a more lengthy announcement for it tomorrow, but uh, one of the ministries that we're a part of here in the community is, is uh, the ministry that was formerly called Royal Family Kids. It's now called For the Children. And this is a ministry that puts on an overnight camp for foster kids in the community. Uh, I still remember the first time I heard about it. Um, uh, it was at a uh, community prayer meeting that I attend regularly on Thursday mornings, but uh, whoever was there uh, was sharing about, I don't think it was you, Jess, I think it was somebody that was on part of the team that got it going, was sharing about this ministry that they were starting in our community of of taking these you know foster kids and taking them away for a week and spending a week telling them that you are a part of a royal family and that you are you belong and that there is a family of God that you are a member of, uh, which you can imagine the power of that message to, to someone who's, uh, you know, being cared for as a, essentially as a ward of the state. And so um, I just remember being so impacted by that. And anyhow, so it's a ministry that's been going, obviously, like so many things, there's been great disruption in their efforts through the pandemic. Uh, but it has just been decided this week that this summer we get to relaunch and rehost these overnight uh, summer camps. And so, yeah, super exciting. And Jess will be sharing more about that next week, even taking a little bit of the teaching time to share about that. So um, so I mentioned we're, we just wrapped up a series on uh, kind of my core, uh, my core passions, my core values. Uh, this was just an opportunity for me to share from the heart things that I'm uh, that I care deeply about. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, hopefully it was a good series, but all good things must come to an end. And, and now I'm, you know, sitting the last number of weeks and thinking, well, now what's next? And I look at all these weeks on the calendar and, and what, what is next? And, I, and part of my process for figuring out what to, to teach on, I mean, part of that process is, of course, prayer, you know, going to the Lord and, and praying and and I do a lot of reading and a lot of listening to, you know, reading books and listening to podcasts and and just looking at different things and looking for what I'm really looking for is inspiration where something comes up and I feel like the Lord is saying this is the next series or this is something that I think would be good to share with my church family. Uh, this is a topic that we should talk about or here's a book of the Bible that I'm just, you know, getting so much out of. Maybe we should read through this book of the Bible together. And so I've kind of been in that process for the last couple of weeks. I, I mentioned that we've got a, we are building a, a, a teaching team. And part of the idea behind that is to just enrich our content with 
with just more input and more voices and more people kind of being a part of that process, reading, praying, listening, looking for inspiration and being able to bring things together in a collaborative environment for that. So if, if that sounds interesting to you or you want to know more about that, you should grab your phone and, and put there on February 22nd. It's a Tuesday night. Uh, Mike Murray is going to have us over for dinner up at his house to talk about the teaching team. So, um, so throw that in your calendar on February 22nd, teaching team meeting at Mike's house. You could just say dinner at Mike's house, and then, and then maybe you'll be like, what was that about? Well, I don't know. I guess I'll go to dinner and find out. Um, one of the questions that is usually decided uh, somewhere in that process of what are we going to talk about next is, is this going to be a series where we're going through a book of the Bible, or is this going to be a series that's more topical? Is this going to be a series where we just start maybe at the beginning of a book and we work our way all the way through it and whatever comes up, comes up, we talk about it? Or is this going to be a series where we have chosen a theme that we think is important and we uh, go to the scriptures and handpick scriptures uh, verse by verse to make sure they all say what we want them to say and we ignore all the ones that don't? Just kidding. Uh, in... In heady Christian circles, this is this is the difference between expository teaching, going through a text and and expounding on what's there, and you know going page by page, line by line, or topical teaching, picking a theme or a topic and going there. And believe it or not, there is actually a lot of debate in heady Christian circles about which style of teaching is best. Uh, some take it so far as to say which style of teaching is biblical. Now, the irony is that people who tend to argue about which style is more biblical tend to be the people who are big fans of expository teaching. Um, but, of course, to arrive at the opinion that expository teaching is the biblical way to teach, one has to lean on topical arguments. So um, so think about that for a while. Um, and honestly, it's like... It's like, it's like the argument of which bear is best, right? Like, I don't know. You know, it, it all depends. It all depends on, you know, who's slowest in your group. But um, at Renewal, we've always tried to have a balance, between, you know, using the two styles of teaching. Uh, typically, I'll try to alternate, you know, spend about half the year doing topical teachings and about half the year doing expository teaching. And, and really hoping that, you know, you find balance in both worlds that, that the pitfalls of each one will sort of be balanced out by the virtues of the other if you're spending time kind of in both camps. All this is to say that we're due for some expository teaching. That's the long way of saying that. So, so all that to say that I feel inspired to go back to the book of Judges and to, to spend some time there. Uh, we started the book of Judges last February, so it's been over a year. Can you believe that? And, and we worked our way through Judges until June. We got about two-thirds of the way through the book. And then we spent the summer looking at what we could learn from the first century church and maybe how they thought about certain uh, doctrines differently than how we think about them. Uh, we spent the fall in a series. I wasn't here, but you spent the fall in a series on Jesus' words from that, that time that he said, learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then before you knew it, Advent was upon us. And, and then before you know it, it's been a whole year, and we haven't finished the book of Judges yet. And I, I'm, an, I'm an achiever. I like to finish things, uh, unless they're my own house projects. <laughs> then I just leave them undone forever. Uh, let me tell you, Laura loves that. Like, 
I get everything else I see through to the end. But if it's like putting the caulking on that trim, like it's a year and it's still not there. Who wants to do that? Um, anyhow, so we're, we're back to the book of Judges. Uh, and, you know, if all goes as planned, we should finish this book by Easter. So we won't spend forever there. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the benefits of going through a book is that we end up being challenged not not just by, uh, you know, what we intended to talk about, but we end up being challenged by what comes up as we're moving through, you know, verse by verse or chapter by chapter. Uh, we end up being challenged by the fact that we don't get to choose what topics. We're sort of, the text gets to dictate to us, at least on some level, gets to say to us what it is that we're going to end up looking at uh, in our time on Sunday. And, you know, most of us who are gathering regularly on Sundays as Christians, we believe that there's something very holy about this book, about this this Bible. We believe it's different than other ancient texts. We believe there's there's something different about scriptures. Really, there's almost something mysterious about the idea that that through these ancient writings that we believe God inspired and he preserved, through these ancient writings, God is still revealing himself to us and something that was, you know, first put and first written down, you know, over a thousand years ago can have fresh revelation for us today. I talk to people all the time and, and myself, I've been, my relationship with God has been deeply impacted by what we feel God speaking to us through his word and, and what we, what we read when we spend time in the word. I say it's kind of a mystery because I have spent tons of time reading the Bible and wishing I was reading something else too. I mean, it's not always it's not always this, you know, mystical, amazing spiritual experience, but sometimes it is, and God reliably speaks to us through His Word. Uh, it could be said in some ways that anytime we're doing an expository teaching series, that what we're giving ourselves an opportunity to submit ourselves to just to what the text says. It's an opportunity where we are allowing this inspired text to speak to us and have a voice of authority, even in how it might be organized, even in what sentence comes after the next sentence. Uh, I think one thing that's very popular in our society is the verse of the day um, or kind of the you know, the catchphrase, uh, devotional life where I just, I, you know, I, I just read the verse of the day. I've got a Bible app. It sends me a verse of the day every day, and that's that's my Bible reading. I read it. And that God can use that stuff, but there's something about submitting yourself to the larger structure of the story and really going through it that I, I think is important. Um, and, and in going back to this series, in some ways, I'm feeling the pinch of that authority or this idea that, hey, there's something higher than me that's kind of goading me into doing something that I don't necessarily want to do. You know, these times that you're wrestling with what's in Scripture versus what is socially or culturally acceptable or, or what is expected. And, and I think many of us kind of sit in this place where we're, we maybe feel torn at times. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, I'm going to live my life submitted to Scripture and my best understanding of what's there, even if I don't fully understand it. At the end of the day, that's an authority in my life. And 
you know, I'm, I'm feeling that authority even in going back and doing this series, partly because I, I was kind of hoping to skip out on the end of this book, uh, largely because it really doesn't end well. And, and if any of you are familiar with the book of Judges, you know, it, it just doesn't end well. And it's been bad up to this point. I mean, I feel like we spent, you know, I was pretty depressed by the time we got to summer. I was like, let's do something new because this story is sad, a sad story. Uh, and I'm kind of a sucker for happy endings. I mean, I know that sometimes, like, the more artistic ending is the one that's not happy. But I just, like, just fill that ending up with cheese and make sure that everyone's okay at the end. And I would prefer that. Um, I hate it when I have to think after a movie's over. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to be done. But, you know, wait, did he, did he or did, do you think, how do you think that worked out? I don't know. I wish they would have ended the movie right. The whole point of the book of Judges is to lay out this narrative of, of what happens. Uh, it's describing the people of God who go from these triumphant, obedient conquerors of the promised land to these completely apostate people who have fallen away from God. They're no longer worshiping him. They've, they're worshiping other gods. And, and really the whole point of the book and the irony in it, something that was lost on me until studying it this most recent time, was that the people of God end up being portrayed as even worse than the people who dwelled in the promised land before them. Sorry, if you're hearing that rumbling, we have huge rats here in the building. We've been trying to take care of it, but they, only, they make a lot of noise on Sundays sometimes. The rest of the week, they're really quiet, but... Um, so, so the book intentionally portrays the people of God, of God as worse than the, the Canaanites that lived there before them. And, and for many of us that have some understanding of Old Testament history, like we know the Canaanites were so bad that God told the Israelites to wipe them out. These were the worst of the worst. And then the book of Judges portrays the Israelites as even worse than these people. Now, when we're reading the book of Judges, we're reading it as history, uh, different Parts of scripture kind of fall under different literary genres. There's a lot of poetry and there's prophecy. And then there's books like Judges that we read as history, meaning that we believe that the book of Judges is describing people who really lived and events that really happened. But the emphasis of biblical history is a little bit different than uh, like American history. If you've ever taken a history class, we, we tend to emphasize the the names and the dates and the sequence of events, uh, and uh, Israelite history, the emphasis wasn't so much on names and dates and sequences of events, so much as it's on the lessons that are there to be learned by God's people by looking at the history of God's people. And the Bible is this story of, of God and humanity. It's this, uh, I think the Bible Project people say it's a, it's a unified story that points to Jesus and Judges is, is a part of that, a part of this unified story of God relating to his creation, and, and in particular, God relating to humanity, and then humanity relating to God. And when we read this history, we are meant to see what's happening there and think about our own lives and gain insight into who we are and who God is, who God is and who he's calling us to be. The real question uh, about the book of Judges that we want to be asking when we start to read this and we're looking and we're walking through it together is what is the book of Judges saying about humanity? 
Because it's not simply saying that these events happened to these people in this place in this time, but it's communicating to us universal, timeless truths about humanity. What's it saying about the people of God? And, and one of the things that it says is it, it constantly points out this tendency that humans have toward uh, feeling justified in whatever they are doing. We could call it self-righteousness. And it's highlighting this historical record of how, how we are prone to self-justification. We are quite likely to feel super justified doing what we're doing, no matter what we are doing. We have this incredible ability to rationalize in our minds and be like, this, no, this is a good idea. This is all going to work out, even if it's, even if it's not working out. Um, we have a, a rental house that we, that we, um, it was our first house that my wife and I bought back in 2004, and we've kind of ran it as a, as a rental house for the last, well, we moved out in 2010. So, you know, for the last 10 plus years, we've been renting it out to people. We're between renters right now, and so there's always, this is kind of the, well, it's been going long enough, now it's time to, we need a, the bathroom floor's got some water damage, and the flooring's just kind of this hodgepodge mix of, you know, what's there. The house is built in the 20s, so what's what's been put there over the last 100 years is, and so, um, so I had a friend over, and he's telling me, you know, we need, to, we need to get out that layer of plywood and that layer of linoleum and that layer of particle board. We need to get down to the original floors. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like it's going to work out at all. And, uh, and, I, and I wasn't going to do it. But, um, but then he showed up, and we started, we started tearing into it together. I mean, I never would have done it if I was there by myself. But we started tearing it together, and it actually, like, we got partway in. And we were like, oh, this is actually working out. This is working out pretty good. So we're not done yet. But, but the whole point of Judges is to look at someone else and learn. And I'm so grateful. It's going to be so nice when we get it done, and the floor is all one thing all the way throughout. This house probably hasn't been this way in 80 years. It's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. I'm so glad I listened, and I'm so glad that he showed up to help But Anyways, um, so the book of Judges talks about how we are prone to fall away from God. And, and at many times, that, that proneness towards falling can lead God's people to a place where they actually end up being worse than those that they would see as far from God or as worse than us. So towards the end of the book, this phrase is repeated a number of times. Um, and the phrase is, in those days... Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You know, when God established the nation of Israel, he communicated to them. His desire was, was that he would be their God, they would, they, would be, he, they would be his people, that he would be their leader, that he would be their king, he would be their ruler. The nation would look directly to God for direction and justice and leadership. And, and um, the people kind of freaked out. Um, when God spoke to them in that way, and they were like, oh, no, we'll send Moses up the mountain to talk to you. We don't want to come up. And, and so it kind of turned into this thing where God's like, all right, I will choose brave men who will come on the mountain to talk to me, and, and I will raise them up, and they will kind of lead you in my place. And so Israel ended up with these judges that ruled over them uh, when they first became established as a nation. And these judges were raised up, they were prophetic and anointed leaders of God's people, but they weren't, they weren't a king. They weren't like a king. Their sons didn't have the authority to rule 
in their in their place and and their authority wasn't derived from uh, you know having i mean if we don't listen to the authorities in in our who are over us eventually the military shows up right i mean if you keep refusing to follow the the authorities eventually the military shows up and and so these judges didn't have like their own military um, I mean, they would call and the Lord would muster up an army and they would go off to war. But it wasn't like a king who has a standing military ready to go all the time. The judges had more like militias for special uh, for special occasions. Anyhow, they weren't like a king. And and increasingly over the course of time, the Lord's people are are not submitting themselves to these judges. The judge isn't a king. In fact, they're they're complaining to God that we don't want these judges anymore. What we want is a king. And and so you end up with this phrase being said more and more in those days. There was no king over Israel. And so the people were doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They aren't listening to the leaders that God has raised up. And, and it gets so bad that in first Samuel chapter eight, uh, Samuel is the last of these judges. And God tells this judge of Israel, he tells Samuel that Israel has rejected God as their king. And so here they are imploring the Lord to give them a king. And God's like, I want to be your ruler. I want, I want this to be a connection that you have with me and you'll be my people. And they're like, we don't want you. We want a king. And so God tells Samuel, look, they have rejected me as king. And they just keep telling me they want a king like the nation's Around them, and the reason God is telling Samuel all is this is because He's explaining to Samuel uh, what He's about to do. God's about to do something different. God's telling Samuel, and He's about to tell Samuel to go and anoint a king. And you can imagine Samuel is one of the judges is probably be a little confused by this because God's been telling His people for generations, "No, you don't need a king. You don't want a king." Um, but God is making a change now, and and telling Samuel to do something that's never happened before. And we can see this whole episode of God giving Israel a king in a couple of ways. One, we can see it as God turning Israel over to this wickedness that they constantly desire. Almost like a, a, a rejecting or a dispossessing of Israel and turning them over to this thing that they want. Okay, you want a king? Fine. Have a king. This is not going to go well for you. And that language is even in there as he's in what he tells Samuel to tell the people. Like, have fun with Saul. This is going to be great. I'm going to sit back and watch. But that's not all that's happening. At the same time that, that God is turning the people over and giving them what they've continually been asking for, even though he knows it's not going to be good for him, at the same time he's doing something different. Uh, there's a book by Brene Brown called Braving the Wilderness, and in it she writes... Um, that, and she's quoting somebody else, but I didn't have it on Kindle, so I couldn't look it up conveniently. So I didn't I'm just this is my citation. I know it's bad. I don't know what page number it was. But but the quote was that one of our most precious religious possessions is a paradox. And I thought, man, somebody wise came up with that, because so often in Christianity, we are stuck in kind of that either or debate. And so either God is turning the people over to themselves or he's doing this other thing that he's doing. Because on the other hand, God is, at the same time that he's relenting and turning his people over to what they want, he is also setting up the ancestral line of the Messiah. In a sense, he's also setting up Jesus' divine right to take rule over his people. 
And he's setting the stage for his people to conceptualize this Messiah who's going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet, so here he is. He's bringing order to chaos, right? He's trying to reconcile his people. He's bringing them to right. At the same time, he's turning them over. And this is why paradox is so important. Because if we don't embrace the mystery in that and even the apparent contradiction in that, then we get stuck in places where when people are evil, God casts them away and turns them away and forgets about them and gives them terrible things. Or we're stuck in the place where everything that happens is what God commands to happen from the beginning to the end of time. And he's in no way going to meet people where they're at. They're going to meet him where he is at. We just don't we don't see evidence of that in Scripture. It's kind of a both and thing. Um, so we have God letting go of this ideal that he laid out when he spoke from the mountain. You are going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We're going to talk like this. Okay, that's not going to work. Okay, we're going to have a person come up and I'll talk through them. Okay, we're going to have judges. Okay, I'm going to meet you where you're at. You really want a king? Okay, I'll give you a king and watch. I'm not just... I'm not just giving you over to your sin, but I'm taking your your sinful desire in a sense, and I'm sanctifying it, and I'm making it now a pathway for the Messiah to come through. This is this God is holy. He just doesn't do things like we do things. Part of the problem for Israel is that they have no authority in their life. And so God is increasingly trying to ground the idea of authority in someone that they will respond to. And they're saying, we will respond to a king. If you will give us a king, we will, we will now have someone ruling over us. And God knows he's committed to this plan of reconciliation for Israel, but he knows that reconciliation cannot move forward with this nation until they will somehow learn to live under someone else's authority. This whole, we all do what's right in our own eyes thing, it has to stop. Because God loves his people, it has to stop. And that whole, we all do what is right in our own eyes, it leads to nothing but chaos and death. And we see that in the story of the judges. It's this vicious spiral of chaos and death and worse and worse as people continue to do what is right in their own eyes. The land that was supposed to be the promised land becomes a place where, you know, might is what makes right. It becomes a place where uh, people are constantly persecuting one another with violence and, and vitriol, just resides in the hearts of God's people toward one another. And God knows that reconciliation of these people cannot happen if they will never learn to submit to something higher than themselves. So I know, I, you know, here I'm, I'm, I'm going back to Judges and my heart is kind of groaning like I don't want to I don't want to do this story. And maybe some of you are feeling the same way. But I really think that there's some value found in this exercise of submitting ourselves to the text. And, and I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we know that we are people who tend toward the notion that we're right in our own eyes. I mean, you know, we're from the country where we threw the king out, right? We were like, enough of that. We've got a new idea and it, a great idea. Top 10 idea in the history of mankind, right? Democracy. That was a good one. Um, 
But at the same time, we have to realize that then concepts like submission, that's a dangerous thing. And especially if you've maybe been around uh, maybe abusive kind of leadership models or church models, because sometimes religious people have a, a real knack for manipulating people. And like the concept of submission is a really nice tool to get people to do what you want. You know, I'm 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 the leader <laughs> and you have to do what I say or you're not submitting. Anyhow, um, it's a, it can be a dangerous concept in our minds. You know, my mind is trained also to work a lot harder to justify my thoughts and actions rather than to maybe consider where I could be wrong or where I might be able to repent or where I might be able to demonstrate submission. But if these stories of Scripture are true, if these stories of the judges have anything to say to us from eons of history long ago, then we can't help but be reminded through the, the downward spiral that reconciliation is not possible without some kind of submission, without some kind of acknowledgement that there is something higher than myself out there. There is an authority that is over me. The path toward God is a, is a path that people walk humbly. It's one where we intentionally embrace the idea that there is a higher authority than me, a higher power than my own. And it's a path where we learn that it is good for us to wrestle under this authority. It's good for us to be disciplined by this loving God. It's good for us to be able to, at times, say, look, I don't fully understand it, but it really seems that this is the path God lays out. And because he said that, and I trust him, I'm going to submit myself to that. It's a good thing for us. It's a path where anytime that we begin, the path of following Jesus is a path where anytime that we begin to feel right in our own eyes, we right away become aware of this dangerous downward spiral. And something inside of us says, okay, I'm feeling super justified here. I, I wonder if the spiral is coming next. I wonder where I can find a, a safety in the multitude of counselors. I wonder where I can submit my life to Scripture and to the body of Christ and, and receive input from authorities in my life that would help me here. The beautiful thing about Jesus coming is that that spiral of God's people doesn't have to happen again. It never has to happen again like it did in the book of Judges. God's people don't need to go on that route if they will learn, if they'll listen, if they'll be quick to repent. So this is just the intro. We're not actually going to get into the book today, but I'm really looking forward to going through this book because I really think that God has a lot to teach us. And, and, I, and I really think that God is going to use the last part of this book as a tool in our lives to help us be more humble and submitted followers of his and, uh, and trusting him. And so we'll see how that goes.